Now, as we start this morning, is there any, I'm sure, I'm sure there has been, can you think of a time, that's probably a better way to say it, of when, when you've impatiently waited for something. You've looked forward to it. You've counted down the days, the hours, the minutes, such and such. Of course, we do that at Advent and Christmas, right? Advent, we purposefully count down to uh, celebrate the birth of Christ. Um, maybe how many days to vacation, or I've seen people with retirement countdowns on their Facebook page, you know. 1,248 days, 628 hours, whatever, you know, they're counting down to uh, that event. <clears throat> um, my sister is supposed to come in this week, Lord willing, to celebrate my dad's birthday. And when she comes in, my man Asa there stands at the door and looks out the door and he's waiting for her to get there. Yeah. Impatiently. Waiting for her to get there. When did she say she was? What time is it? How long should that be? Shouldn't she already be here? And he will literally stand at the door and look up, look up the road, waiting to see her car coming. And today, Jesus adjures us to have that mindset about his return. And we're going to get into some sticky theological, eschatological things this morning, which, hey, it's never stopped us before, right? Um, and, and I would reiterate, you don't have to agree with everything I say. I would ask you, and this will be actually be one of the application points, again, be a Berean. Go home and, and research and look and, and study the Bible for yourself and see if what I'm saying is according to Scripture. And if it's not, let's talk about it. I'm, I'm more than willing, and we'll, again, we'll say that again later on. Um, but as we get into this, Let's focus on what's important. And I think we'll see that as we go along. If you would, please stand. We're going to read Matthew chapter 24, 36 to 44. We'll have one more message in Matthew 24. I think I said last week, this week was the last one and I was wrong. Just wrong. So, uh, But we believe these are the very words of God. And so we stand and pay attention and give our attention and our affection to the person of God as we hear Him speak to us through His Word. Jesus speaking, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let's pray. Father, these are somber, sobering call to arms and attention type of words that we're looking at this morning. And I pray that all of us from the smallest to the largest, the youngest to the oldest, those who know you and those who don't know you, 
God, that we would receive your word implanted and that word would flower and be fruitful in our lives and in the lives of other people. Help us, Holy Spirit, to understand and may your words be clear, not the opinions of a man, not the opinions of a church, but your word, God, which stands firm and fixed in the heavens. Help us to receive it and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thirty-six, Matthew twenty-four, thirty-six. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So, as is so often the case, for to get good information here, let's look back on where we've been, and it'll be a brief one, not a real big, broad overview, so that we can know where we are. It's the middle of the last week of Jesus' life, and he and his disciples are leaving the temple for the last time after having come here all through this holy week to teach and to minister and to verbally beat down the Pharisees and other religious leaders, which Jesus has done impressively and forcefully. The disciples, as they were leaving, had pointed out the beautiful buildings of the temple complex, and Jesus had said that not one stone would be left on another in this vast area of the Temple Mount, causing the disciples to ask him what has now become, hopefully, a familiar question to us. Matthew 24, 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They want to know, the disciples do, as do we, when this cataclysmic event is going to take place, the destruction of the temple, and they want to know in their question, it seems like, if there's any connection to the temple's destruction and Jesus coming to establish his kingdom and the end of all things. Well, for the past four messages before today, we've taken a lot of time to listen to Jesus' answer to their question or questions, which he continues to do here. Now, remember that last week we heard Jesus tell his men that all the things he had said up to that point would happen in their generation. And we said that meant in their lifetimes, in that 40-year span between then and 40 years later. And we know that less than 40 years after Jesus made that startling announcement, the Romans butchered over a million Jews, killed them, and they did indeed destroy the temple and all its buildings. And we said last week that Jesus' answer to these guys could have been figuratively fulfilled, showing the day of the Lord as a judgment on national Israel. And he was using apocalyptic language about the sun, the moon, the stars, which would have been common to the Hebrew mind and would have been received as such by his men. But today, it's like Jesus shifts a gear of sorts. Our passage today starts with a familiar word. Let me go back to that. Our familiar word is but, right? And it seems like we've, we've gone over that word a lot in Matthew. Um, He had finished last week with these words. I want to read the last three verses of what we looked at last week. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away, but today. Okay? So there's definitely a surety that Jesus is now talking about what part of their question. But concerning that day and hour, 
No one knows. Okay? Something got jumbled up here. So he had said, when you see these signs that are taking place, know that he is near at the very gates. Right? And so then he says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Okay? So this, this but, like I said, has served to kind of shift gears on us. And I am missing part of my message, y'all. I'm going to pull it back up another way. There we go. And as he shifts his gears, he has given sure signs. He has said this, and he said this, and he said this. And now he's saying, but. And so everything that he has said before that is sure, that is set in heaven, is there, but. So it's like he's making a turn, and he's saying, all that's sure, but. And what's he say? But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Okay? Now, if you're like me, that's almost like a disappointing statement. It's like we've been watching the show, and we've been watching the movie, we've been reading the book, and you're getting near the end, you can tell things are about to get good, and things are about to get resolved, and the credits start rolling. And you're like, what, 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 what? And they say, tune in next week for the exciting conclusion of... Because Jesus is like, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. You know he's very near, he's at the very gates. And then he's like, but. You're like, but, 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 but what, but what, 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 what? Concerning that day and hour, no one knows. What, but, what, what do you mean? No one knows. And he says, he expands on that. No one knows the day and the hour, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Now hold on a second. He has spoken with surety and clarity about not one stone will be left upon another and you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines in different places and brothers are going to turn against brother and people are going to deny each other. There's going to be false Christ and he's speaking with specificity and then he says, but concerning the day and the hour, nobody knows. No one knows. You know, I go, okay, well, uh, what does that mean? Well, it means exactly what it says. It means nobody knows the day or the hour that he's talking about. And then he expands on that, and he says, not even the angels in heaven? Not even the sun? Now, who's he talking about when he says the sun? Okay, that, that, that's a softball question, y'all. G- give me the... Jesus. Jesus is the answer there, Right? Jesus himself is saying that he does not know the day or the hour of his return. Anybody got a problem with that? Anybody? Jesus doesn't know something. That kind of causes me some problems, some issues. Why? Because Jesus is God, right? 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 But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. When are these things going to happen? What will be the signs? Well, I gave you that. They're going to happen in your generation. And when you see these things, know that I'm near at the very gates. But concerning that day and hour, I, I, I don't know. 
And they're going, wait a second. We've spent three and a half years or so following this guy around and he has shown and said on many occasions that he is God in the flesh. And we've spent a lot of time in our messages explaining that Jesus is in fact God in the flesh. And he says not even he knows. Well, we've got to talk about this Jesus not knowing something, right? Because we are incredibly passionate about the fact that the Son, Jesus, is God the Son. God in the flesh. Jesus is the Word become flesh. Jesus is God. And God is omniscient, which means He knows everything, right? So if Jesus is God, He knows everything, right? A equals B. But here, Jesus says that He doesn't know something. That means he doesn't know everything. And if he doesn't know everything, then he's not omniscient, right? And if he's not omniscient, then he's not God, right? No! Last week we said when we're trying to interpret something that we're uncertain about, we've got to come back to something that we are certain about and root and ground ourselves there before we move into interpreting something because we'll interpret it wrongly if we're not sure about something. Okay? What's something that we are sure of in what we're trying to interpret here? We are sure that Jesus is God. The question we have to ask is not, is Jesus God? But rather, the question that we should be asking is, since Jesus is God, what does it mean when he says he doesn't know this answer? And that's a big difference. There's a really big and important difference. The foregone conclusion is that Jesus is God. And since that is a foregone conclusion, that does not disqualify Him from being God if He doesn't know something. You with me? Stay with me. The world's system licks its lips at statements like this. And they call them problems with the Bible. Your college professors who are waiting on this new Christian to walk into their classroom so that they can dismantle them with this. Well, if Jesus was God, why did He say He didn't know something? I thought God knew everything. And so many people walk into these classrooms and go, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Maybe you're right. And they question their faith and they never come back to church. But it's really not that complicated. It's really not. Let's look at it. Let me ask you this. Does God get tired? No. Does He get hungry? No. God's Spirit, He doesn't eat. Is God omnipresent? Is He everywhere all the time? Okay. Did, did, did Jesus get tired? Did Jesus sleep? Did Jesus get hungry? Well, then Jesus can't be God, right? Nope. <laughs> These things don't cancel out His Godhood, His Godness. They simply point out His humanness, right? One of the most profound and amazing descriptors of Jesus, the Son of God, is that He is truly God and truly man. In His human form, 
Jesus had physical limitations. And yes, He did assert His godness through miracles of healing, divine insight, victory over the grave and such. But Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, while truly God, was also truly human. And as such here, in His human nature, He doesn't know something. Let me ask you this, human beings. Is there anything you don't know? Yeah, a whole lot, right? We don't know stuff because we're human. We're not omniscient. We're not God. We're not the creator of all things. And here, Jesus, and this is a mystery for sure. We can't comprehend the length and depth and breadth of this, that Jesus was fully God and fully human. Or, and again, the, the better word is truly there, truly God and truly human. Humans don't know everything. Last week, we quoted Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our sons so that we might learn to keep His law, right? There are secret things that only God knows. We don't know everything. And those secret things belong to God the Son in the same way that they belong to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. That's very important. And here, in this moment as a true human being... Jesus, after having supernaturally predicted the full destruction of the glorious Jewish temple within the generation of those alive at that time, says He doesn't know the day or the hour when something will happen. And what is it that He's saying He doesn't know the day or the hour of? Is it the destruction of the temple? Is it His coming? Is it the end of the age? Well, again, it gets back to that original question in 24.3. What question or questions are they asking Him? And here's a problem that we have, okay? Matthew 24, and, and y'all heard me say, y'all, y'all heard me say so many times, I'm, you know, Matthew 24 is going to be a bear, you know, and I'm, it's going to be tough. And, and why? Because we indelibly, after 2,000 years of teaching, we link it with what event specifically? The rapture. So we approach this passage... And we naturally think that Jesus is answering the question about the rapture here. Stay with me. What if He's not? What if that's not the question that He's answering? What if He's telling them, I don't know the day or the hour that the temple is going to be destroyed. I don't know the day or the hour of my coming. I don't know the day and the hour of the end of the age. Would that change the way we interpret things? Yeah, sure. We bring our cultural bias into this passage. Now, listen, we're going to see in the following verses that He is indeed talking about His coming. But what if that's not all He's talking about? We've said over the past couple of messages specifically was that, is that Jesus was answering their question that asked when the temple would be destroyed and that they would probably consider that, destruction of the temple, a trigger to His return in full kingly glory which would result in the end of the age. And we've also said that Jesus could very well, and I think probably is, excuse me, speaking in a telescopic way, showing near events and how those would mirror future events. And I think that's true in our verse here. And as we look at the rest of the passage, we'll work through 
I think it's pretty easy to see that they are, verses 37 to 44, are referring to Jesus as coming. He's going to say that specifically. So this passage, this part of his answer, his not knowing the day and the hour of something, seems to be him saying all the stuff that he said previously is set in stone and will happen within their generation, but he's not going to give them a day and an hour to mark on their calendars. Watch for signs. Don't be deceived. Don't follow false Christ. And know that it's close. But don't pin your hopes or your expectations on a neat, easy timeline that's going to give you every detail so that you can just go hibernate until January 28, A.D. 70 and wake up at 10 a.m. and say, okay, now. He's not going to allow them to do that. He's not going to allow them to... The ability to just walk in and say, okay, it's coming at this point. We can put off everything until then. Don't pin your hopes on a day or an hour. Jesus doesn't know to tell them. And I don't think He'd tell them if He could. If He did know. Because, and this is where we get real today. This is where we start to focus because this is what's important. He wants them to be ready. Whenever it is. And the same could be said about his final return as well, if he wasn't speaking of that, which I think he was. But look at verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, so there's definitely a surety that Jesus is now talking about what part of their question? His return. So what will be the signs? When will all these things take place? And what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age. So here he says, For as were the, the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So again, he is addressing his coming. His return. And again, I do think it all interrelates as far as the question slash questions go. But he's zeroing in now on his return specifically. He had said he doesn't know the day nor the hour. And now here he says, For... So now he's describing what that return will be like. This description is to help them understand how his not knowing mirrors their not knowing. And since they don't know, he's going to help them get a hold of what to expect. And he starts by saying, For, as were the days of Noah... Now what's that mean? Well, when we think of Noah, we think about a... Flood. And that flood was what? It was God's judgment on the earth. And my slides aren't working, by the way. If you can go to the next one, Genesis 6 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And that's why God is going to pour out his judgment in a in a worldwide flood that's going to destroy everybody but Noah and his family. Sin had come into the world in the Garden of Eden and just a few generations later, and our Bible is just a few chapters later, that fallen state of man is on full display. But Jesus isn't talking about His coming because of great evil. He does, however, say they need to know that His returning will be coming in judgment. Now keep that in mind. That's what's important here. And now watch this. Because these next two verses are a little bit of a curveball if you ask me. But they set the stage for the rest of the chapter and even for chapter 25 when we get there. Now watch this. Verses 38 and 39. For as in those days, talking about Noah's days, before the flood, 
They were pillaging and raping and stealing and killing and... Oh, wait a minute. That's not what it says, is it? For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now again, this is a big deal if we're going to interpret all these things correctly and again set the stage for the rest of this chapter and and chapter 25. I would expect Jesus to talk about the evil state of man as a comparison between Noah's time and the time of His coming. But what does He say about how things were in Noah's day? For as in those days before the flood, they were doing what? Eating and drinking. So evil. They were marrying and giving in marriage. The audacity. What's the deal here? Jesus is saying, listen, please, please, please listen. Get this. Jesus is saying that the biggest deal for His followers is that they understand that they don't know when Jesus is coming back and the greatest threat to their being ready for His return is just being nonchalant. Day to day, no big deal, caught up in humdrum everyday life kind of people. Church. The folks in Noah's day saw Noah building the ark. They saw him preparing for God's judgment. But every person in the world outside of Noah's family just lived. They ate, they drank, they married people, they gave people in marriage, and they did these things until the day when Noah entered the ark. They didn't change. They didn't repent. They didn't cry out to God to deliver them. They just lived. Unaware and uncaring of the presence of God, much less the judgment of God. They just didn't care. And verse 39 says that they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. It wasn't until the judgment came that they were affected or that they cared. You think they cared when the water was carrying them away? When they were gasping for their last breath, do you think they cared then? Now, come on, preacher, that's a little rough. It is a little rough. But they didn't care before then. They didn't care until they thought that they were personally affected by that particular judgment. They didn't care. And then the flood came and swept them all away. And listen, and then it was too late. You're like, "Uh uh-oh, preacher, you're going on that too late thing. Yep, I am. Because the judgment of God fell. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now do you see that? Jesus, when He returns, is returning in judgment. And if you're not ready for His coming, you're going to be on the receiving end of His judgment. His just judgment. If you're not ready, you're judged. And remember, Jesus is saying what He's saying to show the uncertainness of when He returns. When, not if. 
He will return, but the focus is not on knowing when, but instead on being ready, regardless of when it is. So he gives an example of those who weren't ready to teach about his return and how important it is to be ready because that's what he wants his disciples to focus on. He wants his disciples to be focused on being ready for when he returns. You don't know when, Jesus says, I don't know when. But I want you to be ready. And then he adds another descriptor in verses 40 and 41. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Now again, well, let me just go. So yeah, I don't know about you, but I've always heard these verses as a scary, you better be good or you might miss the rapture kind of passage, right? I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun is coming. You've been left behind. I'm, I need to get saved, preacher. You bet you do. Whew, got that out of the way. Check mark. I'm ready now. That's not what Jesus is saying. Two men in the field, one taken, one left. Two women grinding at the mill, one taken, one left. And it sure does feel creepy, doesn't it? But what's Jesus saying here? Well, He had told them to be ready in the prior two verses. And in those two verses, He's showing that there will be a separation. I'm sorry, in these two verses, He's showing that there will be a separation in His return in judgment. And that separation is going to be stark and clear. Two people, one gone, one remains. Two women, one gone, one remains. What's going on? And we'll see this more when we get into chapter 25 and the parables there. Two people who are in the same place doing the same thing get two different outcomes in the return of Christ, which is the judgment of God. One is taken, one is left. Is he talking about the rapture? Sure sounds like it, doesn't it? I mean, he is talking about his return. But, remember, Jesus is talking about coming back as a form of judgment, isn't he? You remember Matthew 13? Whenever that was, 11 chapters ago. In those parables, one of the last parables he tells is that God is going to send out angels to separate the tares from the wheat and He's going to bind those tares in bundles and throw them into the fire as a form of judgment. And then the righteous will be left and they'll shine like the sun in the kingdom of His Father. What if this is what He's talking about here? What if the judgment is not the church being raptured away What if it's judgment upon unbelievers? Stay with me now. Listen, we're we're building a case. And you'll see at the end, I don't know what I'm talking about. What if? I'm just asking you to ask that question. One's taken, one's left, and that's judgment. Is the judgment being taken away? Or is the judgment being left? We've always assumed it was being left, right? There's no time to change your mind. The sun's coming, you've been left behind. Tim LaHaye said, I'm going to write some books about that. That sounds good. 
But remember, he's talking about his coming back as a form of judgment. Again, like we did last week, we have to hear this, that Jesus is saying, in the context of the disciples' question. They are not, they were not asking him about his return as we think of it, culturally here in our day and time. They weren't looking for a time when Jesus came back and took some people to heaven and left others to be punished. They were looking for a time when Jesus came back and set up his throne and ruled as the king of all things forever. And Jesus is showing them that they don't know what it's going to be like. They don't know what's going to happen. But in his call for them to be ready, for them to be watchful, he's showing that separation is going to happen and that separation is going to be very plain. Keep that word separation in mind. We'll get back to it later. If they're not ready, if anyone is not ready, like those in Noah's day weren't ready, they will be judged. If they're not ready in this case, the clear separation will be obvious. Now Paul speaks of this time this way in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-11. through Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers... You have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains. We've heard that before, right? Come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Or drunk at night, sorry. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, judgment, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another, one another up just as you're doing. Now we hear these things through a cultural lens too, with 2,000 years of past teaching to influence us. And all those emotional fears of your childhood, if you're like me, oh no, what if I get left behind? I remember walking through my house a few times as a kid and I couldn't find mom, dad, sis. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. I got left behind. That's true. That happened to me a few times. And it scared me, (laughs) y'all. But that's, that's the cultural lens that we look at the Matthew 24 passage and the 1 Corinthians passage. Now, is Jesus in Matthew 24, is Paul in 1 Thessalonians in these passages teaching a rapture of the church where the church is taken to heaven before the judgment of God falls on the rest of the world? And my answer is, I don't know. I'm not sure. Two or three years ago, if you'd asked me that question, I would have said, yeah, I think that's what they're saying. Ten years ago, I would have said absolutely. When I'm standing in my house by myself, I would have said, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Today, I I don't know. Maybe. But I have some doubts about that. And I'm more more than happy to talk about it more one-on-one. We don't really have time to debate it much right now. And we'll look at it a little more in application. But what's for sure, and this is what's important, what's for sure is that Jesus is saying that when He does return, whether it's a rapture, or a coming in judgment directly in that time, it's going to be clear who is being judged and who is being called to Jesus' side. 
one taken, one left. There will be no questions or confusion. And he's telling them what? Verse 42. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Therefore, since all the rest of this is sure and true, therefore, stay awake. Next slide gives us a definition for stay awake. I'm going to try this. Gregoruo. Gregoruo. Grogu. Gregoruo. That's the Greek word for stay awake. To give strict attention to, to be cautious, to be active, to take heed lest through remission and indolence some destructive calamity suddenly overtake one. So now let's put this definition in context of what Jesus is saying. Give strict attention to, take heed lest through remission and indolence some destructive calamity suddenly overtake one because you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Do you give strict attention to watching for the return of Jesus? Is His coming the focus of your life is his focus even a fo- is his return even a focus in your life has it ever been and i'm asking you to be honest with yourself cuz i've had to sit and look at this and go ooh and it convicts me i've had times when i wanted jesus to come back but it's usually when i'm tired or frustrated or things look like they're spiraling out of control I'm just, just come back jesus cuz that's going to help me that's usually my attitude Just being honest. But have I ever looked to the sky longing for Him to return? Have I made it a point at any point of my day to give strict attention to His possible return so that I'm not deceived? So that I'm ready? And i got to tell you guys, I don't think I have. And Jesus is drilling into His men's heads and hearts right here. It is very important that you give strict attention to my return so that you will be ready. It's important. Why? To avoid that remission and indolence that would lead to sudden destructive calamity overtaking us. Paul would say to work out your salvation with fear and much trembling. Because let me tell you what, if you don't know for sure that you're saved, you need to fear and tremble. If you do know that you're saved, you still better pinch yourself from time to time and fear a little bit and tremble a little bit just to make sure. I'm not saying try harder to do better to make sure you're saved, but I'm saying if you don't know, and if you're not ready... You better do something to make sure you're ready. You're like, well, what I got to do, preacher? We'll get to that. Those who don't know Jesus will fall under the judgment of His return. And our lives should be such that we are sure and certain and focused on not falling under that judgment. Romans 8, 1 is clear, right? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now... That's a blessing. And that's part of being ready. 
But if you're not sure, you better do something to make sure you're sure. Intent, fixed, locked in, on purpose, looking for His return and not oblivious to it and so caught unawares. Oh, it's a story, right? Jesus is coming back someday. Peter talks about that. Scoffers are going to scoff and say, what about His return? Y'all talked about it all this time and it still hadn't happened. And judgment's going to come upon them in the blink of an eye. Verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Jesus is so good. (laughs) He's so clear. And here he gives a simple illustration of what this readiness and or unreadiness looks like in everyday life. In an encouragement to watch for his return, he says that if a homeowner had some inside information about when a thief was coming to his house, at what time and such, then that homeowner or master of the house would make sure to be ready when said thief was going to be there. And that thief would not have been able to break into that house because the owner was ready for him. So now just get that picture. Someone someone comes over and says, Hey man, I I heard a guy saying that he was coming to your house tonight at 2 a.m. And that he's going to break in and steal stuff. What's that guy going to do? Okay, thanks. I'm going to lay down. Awful tired. No. He's going to get a posse ready. Here in West Virginia, we get a posse ready. That's what we do. And we're like, come on, 2 a.m.? And so dude steps up on the porch, 2 a.m., the homeowner's sitting on the porch with a posse. And that posse meets that potential thief with a chorus of cocking guns, right? Click, 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 click. And voila, our formerly potential thief turns into not a thief at all because he turns and he runs away. If you know somebody's going to come to your house at a certain hour and try to take your stuff, you're going to be ready. And Jesus is saying, you don't know the day or the hour, but you know it's happening, so be ready. That homeowner was ready. Final, verse 44. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming. Now watch this. At an hour you do not expect. Now who's He talking to here? He's talking to His disciples. And only his disciples. We've already been told that we don't know and will not know the day nor the hour. So we can't plan to meet Christ in his return like that homeowner. So what do we do? Therefore, Jesus says, you also must be ready. Because, get this, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Not only do you not know, He's coming when you don't expect it. We don't know the day or the hour, but He says that He's coming at an hour we don't expect. So then what are we supposed to do? We stay ready. We get ready, we be ready, and we stay ready. We have to be ready all the time. We don't have a 2 a.m. appointment. So we should be ready at 2 a.m. and every other a.m. and p.m. Ready for what? Ready for His coming. Get 
get ready, be ready, stay ready. That's the goal of the follower of Jesus. I want to make sure I'm ready. I want to be ready and I want to make sure I stay ready. Because when's he coming? I don't know. Matter of fact, he's coming when I least expect it. So if I'm not expecting it, don't know when to expect it, I need to be ready. The goal of the follower of Jesus is to be ready. Be being ready. And why do we look forward to his return? Because here's the deal, church. His return is the fulfillment of all that we desire more than life itself. Did you read this morning, since your steadfast love is better than life? Did you read? Was that the song you read? I don't remember. I know it's in that Bible somewhere. Your steadfast love, O Lord, is better than life. There's nothing more precious to you than your life in the flesh. And the Scripture says that Jesus is better than life. And so His coming is the fulfillment of all we have, all we need, all we want is you. Anybody ever been apart from their family for a long period of time? Man, you just want to be with them. Do you feel that way about Jesus? He says we should. And the good news is, we can. We can. Don mentioned this morning about all the good things, all the good in the world and our situations. There's good things. And ain't nothing as good as Jesus. Amen. That's the truth. That's the gospel biblical truth. There's nothing in your life, even your own life, that is better than Jesus. Is He all that we want? All that we need? Is He our all in all? Because listen, He's coming back. And being ready means loving Him more than your own life. Your things, your stuff, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents. And it's not that those things are bad. It's just that He's better. He's better. So I'm ready. I'm longing for His return because it's the fulfillment of everything that I even want. Being ready means living like that. So we're to be ready. Are you? Am I? Three points application as we finish. Rapture, rupture, and ready. Thank you very much for your affirming laugh. That's very encouraging. <laughs> rapture, rupture, ready. Arr. Pirate application points today. Arr. Rapture, rupture, ready. First, first application is rapture. <laughs> is there a rapture? Yes. Is there not a rapture? Is it before a great tribulation? If there is a great tribulation. Is it in the middle of the great tribulation? Is it after the great tribulation? Is it a full rapture? Is it a partial rapture? Does it matter? Yeah, it does matter. And application-wise, I would encourage you... can't point my fingers at all of you, but let's act like I am. I would encourage you 
to dig into the Scriptures, into the Scriptures, and form a scripturally informed opinion of the answers to those questions. Don't pick your favorite interpreter. Don't pick your favorite commentator and say, well, John MacArthur says this, so I believe this. Don't do that. It's okay to listen to John MacArthur, read John MacArthur. It's all right to listen to R.C. Sproul and, 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 and read R.C. Sproul. It's okay to listen to... I better not say that. Um, it's okay to listen to Jason Moore. But don't take my word for it. Don't take John MacArthur's word for it. Get into the Bible. And the Bible has a lot to say about the return of Christ. A lot. And it can be interpreted in some different ways. And I'm not going to look at R.C. Sproul and say, you're wrong. I'm not going to look at John MacArthur and say, you're wrong. And they don't agree at all. Zero. And I'm not going to tell either one of them they're wrong. And application-wise, again, I would encourage you to get into the Scriptures and dig it out for yourselves. And this is only an application point because I would in no way want to shove a stance that I call my own or what we would call the church's stance and try to force you to adhere to to whether you agree to it or not. Do that work yourself. Now, I would never stand here and suggest that over, say, the five solas. I would never tell you, well, figure it out for yourself. And if you don't agree with me, it's fine. I'm not going to say that about these five things. Grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone is taught in the Scriptures alone to the glory of God alone. Those are non-negotiables. The rapture is not a non-negotiable. It's not. So do the work yourself. Again, application-wise, from this passage today and other places in the Bible, you form your stance and stand on it, protecting and defending it with the Bible while you love other people. Amen. Defend your stance with the Bible, not what others say, not what you've always heard, not what others expect you to believe, but what you have come to your conclusion on based on what you have studied and prayed about and figured out. And here's another part of that application, and this is the harder part. Be willing for that stance to be changed if something comes up that is strong enough to challenge it from more study, more digging, more praying. Be teachable. Be a self-studier. And be correctable. I have been wrong about a lot of things in 20 years of ministry. A lot of things. You're like, you're wrong about a lot of things today, preacher. What is? Okay. Not too many. many, Thank you. (laughs) Like the deal with Jesus not knowing something. Because if you're set in stone and you don't have any room to bend and try to figure something out, a tree that don't bend gets knocked over by the wind. Be strong enough to bend a little bit. And say, hey, I don't know about this. I'm not just going to give a stance because it's what I've always heard. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to ask other wise believers. I'm going to ask some foolish believers because I'm curious. And and, and I'm going to study. I'm going to dig. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to say, God, please show me the truth. And if I'm wrong, correct me. Know where you stand and why you stand there. And I'll say again what we've heard so many times in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. 
If you can say you know exactly how the rapture is going to happen, please enlighten me because I don't. I don't. And there are people who say, well, let me show you. I'll listen. Study, pray, stand fast, and be strong enough to bend when you need to. Do your best to present yourself, your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's the goal. Amen. So that's rapture. Rupture. That's my favorite one. Second application point is rupture. It's not supernatural or phenomenal signs that show that it's his coming, that he's coming. It's business as usual. That's the sign of his coming. And he's already said, when you see these signs, he's, he's near, he's at the very gates. So we know he's near. And again, we say, for 2,000 years he's been near, and we say, yes, absolutely. And it's the people who aren't shaken by that, who aren't looking for that, who are just living, that are going to fall under the judgment of God. So we have to rupture our connection to the world. We have to sever ourselves from those things that call, us, call our attention and our affection away from the person and return of Christ. There is a clear teaching here in our passage today that there will be a clear division of those who are Christ's and those who are not when He returns. And here's the call for the believer specifically. That division should be clear right now. When in the world did we start to look so much like the world? When did we start to act like them? When did we start to want what they want? To laugh at what they laugh at? To blaspheme what they blaspheme? When did it happen in my life? Jesus says, sever those things. Divide those things. Because there's coming a time when those things are going to be divided. And if you are clinging to them with greedy paws, you're going to be destroyed with them. Listen, there's no such thing as cultural Christianity. Come out of her. I'm getting ahead of myself. My daily reading plan has me in Leviticus right now. And some of you are going, yay, Leviticus. And I, the points I'm going, I don't want to hear about rashes and ruptures and discharges. Blech. But all through it all, God is giving the Israelites guidance on what to eat, what to wear, how to settle legal matters, how to handle rashes and ruptures, how to offer sacrifices or whatever. And it keeps coming back to this, Leviticus 11, 44-45, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy. For I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with the swarming thing that crawls on the ground. He's given dietary restrictions here. For, verse 45, I'm the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy. Why? For I'm holy. Listen to me, Christian. You are to be holy. In your conversation, in your daily walk, in your wants, in your desires... 
in your thoughts, in your clicking finger. And you're like, don't fuss at me, preacher. Somebody please fuss at me. Because the call is to holiness. And if we don't rupture and separate ourselves from the world, we don't know anything about holiness. And if we don't know anything about holiness, we don't know anything about God. And if we don't know anything about God, judgment is coming on us. It's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly man and the sinner? Separation. 2 Corinthians 6, 14-18. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And yes, that definitely has something to do with marriage and dating for sure. Absolutely, positively, but that's not all it's about. If you are an unbeliever dating or married to, or thinking about getting married to a believer, no thought, no difference, no, no big deal there. But if you're a believer thinking about dating an unbeliever, if you're a believer thinking about marrying an unbeliever, don't do it! Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Well, you're just a legalist. May it never be. This is not about do's and don'ts, cans and can'ts, and wills and won'ts. This is about seeking holiness in the fear of the Lord. And if we're not doing that, we might as well shut these doors and never come back. Rapture, rupture, finally ready. What does it mean to be ready? To seek and desire the return of Christ more than anything. Now listen, we are in sinful flesh. All of us are. We're drawn to sin. We like sin. And we hate sin. That's the thing about a Christian. We participate in sin because it feels good and we like it. And then the Spirit of God convicts us and says, you you shouldn't be doing that. You can't do that. That's not holy. Holy. That's drawing your attention and your affection away from me. Being ready is coming to God and saying, look at all this sin. I'm sorry for it. I need a Savior. I need forgiveness for these sins. And what does God do? God shows us Jesus. Perfect life. Crucified taking the penalty for my sins upon His body. God pouring His wrath for my sin upon the body of Christ because my sin is there. And I go, God, You have chosen to forgive me for my sins. Jesus paid the penalty for my sins through His flesh, through His blood. I've been forgiven and I want to want You more than anything else. 
I want to seek your return more than anything else, more than my next paycheck, more than my next meal, more than my next physical pleasure, more than my family, more than my friends, more than I want myself. Have you admitted your sin and your need for a Savior? Have you trusted in Jesus and His work to be that Savior? Are you living for Him in expectation of His imminent, any minute return to judge and rule the world? Are there things that you would rather do than be with Jesus? Are your affections in someone or something else? Are you just living? Eating, drinking, marrying, dating. Nothing wrong with these things, but they are not the point of your life, if you're ready. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. I'm going to shotgun these last passages. The end of the matter, Solomon says, who tried everything. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's ready. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's ready. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. That's ready. In Revelation 22.20, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. And the ready people say, Come, Lord Jesus. You must Whether it's a rapture, whether it's coming in judgment, a lot of uncertainties, but this I know for sure. You must be ready. I promise you, Friday, if all things work out normally, Ace is going to be standing in that door, watching through that window for that car to come up the road. Maybe I'll send you a picture. Because that's ready. Let's pray. Father, help us to be ready. As your people, help us to be ready. And God, if there is anyone sitting here this morning who knows they're not ready and they're convicted of their sins and they know they need a Savior, show them Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit. And may their readiness be found in Him, who He is, what He's done, and their desire for Him. May they know that Jesus will forgive all their sins. He will save them and He will return and be with them forever. God, may we all know that and live differently as a result. Help us to be ready. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said... Amen. You're dismissed. If you want to hang out, talk. It's a little warmer outside than it was. Go out there. We'll love you better out there.